Good evening. Good to be with you this evening. Good to see so many here this evening. It's encouraging to me to see you. Uh, we're going to be studying together about the life of David. I started about a month ago interjecting David into the James study, and we'll be going back and forth between James and David for a little while. Uh, we're going to be talking this evening in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you want to get out your Bibles and, and follow along the story. Last time we talked about uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and, and got a picture of David's anointing. The beginning of David's life as, uh, as he's anointed as king uh, among his brothers. He's the youngest. And God chooses him. And you remember that great text where Samuel thinks it's going to be Eliab and it's not, but... He chooses instead the youngest who Jesse didn't even have among his brothers. And David's the one who's anointed. But David's not the king. Saul's the king. Uh, And David's not going to be made king for quite some time. But whenever we get into chapter 17, we see a continuation of the way things were. With Saul being king, we see uh, Samuel being separated from Saul because God has rejected Saul and Saul has rejected God. But in chapter 17, we get another battle. Now Saul has had great success in the first three battles that we're told about. Uh, he's, he's able to conquer the Philistines. He's able to conquer the Amalekites. But now he's up against the Philistines again in chapter 17. And you have this picture given to us of all Israel on one mountain and all of the Philistines on the other side and a valley in between. And there's these huge battle lines that have been drawn. And out of the battle line of the Philistines comes a man who is a behemoth. He's nine foot six inches. I can't even reach as tall as he is. Nine foot six inches tall. And he comes out and he's covered in metal. He's like a fortress on two feet. He's got a javelin that's huge. And a sword that would one, one day be said, there is none like it. And he's coming out before all Israel and he says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Send a man out here and let us fight. And whoever wins, if I win, all Israel will serve the Philistines. And if he wins, all of us Philistines will serve the Israelites. So instead of a big bloody and gory battle, he suggests a one-on-one To determine who is the greater nation. Give me the best that you have. And what does Israel do? Well it says that Saul and all Israel were struck with terror. (laughs) As I imagine I would be. This guy is terrifying and there's no one in Israel who wants to stand up to him. Not even Saul who is head and shoulders above everyone else. The king who's supposed to go out and fight Israel's battles for him. No, he doesn't want anything to do with them. So it just, it, it shudders throughout the ranks. No one wants to go up against this great Philistine. And he taunts Israel day after day, multiple times a day, but there's no response. Meanwhile, back in Bethlehem, <laughs> David is out tending to his father's sheep. His three oldest brothers are on the battle line for Israel, 
But he must be too young. He's, he's off tending to the sheep, which his father keeps him busy doing. And his father's getting concerned. It's been quite some time now, and he hasn't heard anything about the battle and his, and his, his oldest sons. So he decides to send David with food and supplies to the battle line and to see how his brothers are doing. So David goes. He walks up to the battle line, to the, to the tents and the camp, and all of a sudden there's a big commotion and everybody runs out. And so he sets down all the food and everything at the baggage and he runs to where everyone else is running to to see what's going on. And all the battle line is drawn up and there's a great big war cry. Can you imagine being there? As a young shepherd boy, all you ever see is sheep. <laughs> and now here's this big battle and you think it's about to take place. And he's wedging through. He wants to see what's going on. He wants to see what this is all about. And here David is surrounded by all of these big guys who are part of Israel's army who have been fighting in battles. And he is like a little pipsqueak among them. And then out of the ranks of the Philistines come this behemoth again. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Send out a man to fight. David looks around. And what does he see? Horror. Trembling. Fear. Have you ever been let down by somebody that you really look up to? Imagine the feelings going through David. As, as Israel's army, the army of, of God who was brought into the Canaan land and conquered so many people, the army that walked around Jericho and the walls fell, is terrified of one man. David's disgusted. <laughs> I imagine there's a look of disgust on David's face. And, and the men see it, obviously. They start talking about, man, this guy is huge. Who's gonna, there's, there's no one who can stand against him. And Saul's offered treasure to the man who would go against him and kill him. He's offered that his whole family will be tax-free. He's even offered his own daughter. To the man who kills Goliath. And David's first words that we ever read him speaking are, Now, what was that reward? <laughs> Wait a second. What was that reward again? He's a poor little man from Bethlehem. A young man from Bethlehem. What was that reward? But that's not all that he says. He says, What is the reward that will be given to the man who slays this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the army of the living God. David takes offense at the words of Goliath and the audacity that he has to stand up against God's army. It's about that time that his oldest brother, Eliab, hears what's going on and shows up. And he says, David, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be tending your father's sheep? Why are you here? You don't deserve to be here. You're just a little kid. Get out of here. I know what you're doing. You want to see the battle. You're just here to cause a lot. Get out of here, David. And David responds, what am I doing? I'm just saying the truth. Somebody's got to go against this guy. Somebody's got to stand up to Goliath. He can't do this. He can't get away with this. 
Well, that word, that truth that comes from David, somehow works its way up into the tent of Saul. And don't you imagine that Saul is just pacing. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's been 40 days. And I've offered treasure and I've offered free taxes and I've offered to my own daughter and I can't get anybody to go and fight this battle for me. What am I going to do? And then all of a sudden there's word, oh, somebody's asking about the reward. And, and somebody's saying, we've got to get this guy. He says, well, bring him here. Can you imagine the dif- disappointment? <laughs> when David steps in, in his shepherding outfit, and he says, let no man's heart fail him, I will go up against this Philistine t- this day. Huh? <laughs> You're just a youth. This guy's been fighting battles. He's been killing people since his youth. He's a trained professional. And you think you're going to go up against him? David said, Yeah. Yeah. The Lord will deliver this man into my hands. Whenever I was a shepherd and one of my sheep were taken by a lion or a bear, I would go after them and I would get back my sheep because the Lord would deliver the sheep, the, the sheep back into my hand. He would deliver the lion and the bear. I would strike him down because of the hand of the Lord that was with me. This Philistine will be like one of those. David, Saul says, Go. The Lord be with you. Can you believe he says that? All Israel is hanging on the balance. And Saul says, go. The Lord be with you. Saul doesn't feel ashamed at the fact that some boy has the courage to go. And he should have the courage. He just says, go and the Lord be with you. Now imagine you're Israel. Okay, you've seen this boy. And he goes off into David's tent. And you've got to be thinking... Yeah, right. Saul's going to see this guy. And maybe he'll feel ashamed and he'll go out there and fight the battle that he's supposed to fight. He's our king. Saul says, go, and the Lord be with you. And then Saul tries to help things by putting his armor on David. And he's a small guy. And Saul's huge, like I said. And all this armor just doesn't work. Okay, it's just a, a, a funny scene to see David just covered in all this armor. Can't hardly do anything. He says, I haven't tested it yet. I don't think I can do this with the armor. So he takes all the armor off. And then he walks out the tent. And he doesn't have any armor on him. And all Israel's thinking, yeah, see, I knew that nothing was going to happen. Then he starts walking down the mountain. He's going to get himself killed. He's crazy. What what is he doing? David just goes. He's gone. He's going down the mountain with a stick and a sling and no armor to face Goliath. And on the way, wouldn't you know it, five stone or a pile of stones. He takes five smooth stones, he puts them in his uh, satchel, and he goes out against Goliath. With all Israel watching. He stands out on the battlefield. And Goliath says, Am I a dog that you would send me this one with sticks? Come on, what's going on? 
He's offended at the at the the opponent that's come out to fight him. So he curses David. And he says, my gods will deliver you into my hand. You're coming to me with a stick. And my gods will deliver you into my hand. Your body will be given over to the birds and to the animals. You're going to be eaten on by animals at the end of today. And David doesn't miss a beat. He tells Goliath, you come at me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. He will deliver you into my hands. And not only you, but all the hosts of the Philistines will be given to the birds of the air and the the beasts of the field. They're going to have a feast this day. Because God's going to fight this battle for me. At this, Goliath starts walking, like stalking toward David. And David just starts running. Full speed going at Goliath. He throws a a stone. You imagine a stone being about two or three inches in diameter. Throws it into his sling. And he just starts whirling it. And he's in full speed running. Now you're Israel and you're watching all this unfold. You hear David say what he says and you're just like, what did he just say? (laughs) He's going to make him angry. This is not a good thing. This is not going to turn out well. And then he goes out and he's in full sprint slinging his sling. And everybody's like, what's going on? Is he really going to do this? And their eyes are bulging out of their head as as David and Goliath get closer. And they get closer. What's going to happen? And David just gets that sling and he lets it go. And it comes out of there going around 150 miles per hour. That's typical of those slings. Flying through the air. But the problem is, you got to hit the target. you got to hit your target. He lets it go. And you imagine all Israel's breath would just stop. Their hearts would stop. They're looking. They're trying to see that stone fly through the air. And that stone... It hits the mark and whack! Right in the forehead. And he falls flat on his face. Spear flying, sword flying, knocked out cold. And David doesn't miss a beat. He's still running. And he comes up and he grabs that big sword and he cuts Goliath's head off. And he grabs that head and I imagine it's a big head. You grab that head and you pick up that head and you show it to the Israelites. And they're like, yeah! And he's showing it to them. And then he turns around and he shows it to the Philistines. Yeah! And about that time you hear and you feel the thunder of all Israel making a path, coming down the mountain. And they're ready to take out some Philistines. And all the Philistines are just sitting there with their jaws dropped. And they're like, what just happened? What just happened? And they have to gather themselves. And they have to pick up their jaws off the dirt. And then they start running into each other, getting out of there, trying to flee. Because Israel's coming, and they're coming in hard. And they take them out. What a story. What a story. Is it any wonder that this story gets referred to all the time? David and Goliath is constantly being referred to as as the underdog rises up to defeat 
the great enemy. Hollywood takes full advantage of this story. They'll make someone who, you know, you got two guys that are equal, they'll make somebody fall big time so that they're an underdog just so they can rise up like David to defeat the giant. It happens all the time. What is the intention that God has for Israel in this story? What is the intention that God has for Israel in this story? The original audience, as as they're reading through the book of Samuel, or they're hearing it spoken, which they often would be hearing these stories spoken, would be drawn to to the whole scene of everything that's going on with Saul and David, those main characters, those kings of Israel. And and David is not yet a king, but he's going to be rising in power. This is the scene that changes the tide for Israel. This is where we see Saul fall. He's terrified. And David is the one who delivers Israel, not Saul. The writer, as you read the story, is showing us what we read back in chapter 16, verse 7. You remember God says, The Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God sees what's in the heart. God knows what's inside of the man. David is a man after God's own heart whom God has chosen. And in this story, God shows us how he is able to work through a David and not through a Saul. But it goes even further than that. As you look at the outward appearance of Goliath, who cannot be intimidated by this guy? God's not. And David's not. The outward appearance doesn't mean a thing when it comes to God. And we talked about that last time. So as Israel's reading through and studying this, they're getting that picture firmly planted in their mind. That the outward appearance is not what God is most valuing in other people. But what about us? What is God's intention for us? When we get to the New Testament, remember last time we talked about how David shines a light into the New Testament on Jesus. There's many people in the Old Testament that shine a light on Jesus and show us Jesus in different ways. But when we get to the New Testament, we look at Jesus and we look at David and we look at this story. What do we see? How did Jesus defeat Goliath in the New Testament? Who did Jesus defeat? But Satan. That enemy from the very beginning. The one who has caused us to die over and over again because of our sin. The one who is the great tempter and the great accuser. Who did Jesus defeat? Satan. How did He do it? You notice, whenever Jesus rose up to defeat Satan, whenever He came to to destroy Satan, no one else could do it. Thousands of years had gone by, and nobody else had defeated Satan. So what did God do? 
God said, I will do it. In Isaiah 59, verse 15 and 16, it says, Truth is lacking in he who departs from evil, makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. Just like David looks around and doesn't see a single person willing to stand up and glorify God and save Israel and decides to do it himself, God looked around and saw there's not a man on earth that has ever been who is able to do this, who is able to save my people. I will do it myself. And he didn't do it with a sword. He didn't do it with a bazooka or a tank coming into Jerusalem to destroy. He didn't come in and and kill off all the enemies in a way that everyone would have expected a, a man to come in and take over and become a dictator. He fought the battle with an unconventional weapon. You look in Revelation and you see that He comes in on a white horse. And He takes out the enemy with the sword of His mouth. Jesus spoke and defeated all the arguments against Him, all the arguments against God. He he shed light on the glory of God through the words that He spoke. He defeated Satan. And also through the cross. His life was lived to fight this battle. And he won. Even though no one believed he could do it. You remember his brothers in John chapter 7? Just go to Jerusalem. Go ahead. Go fight your battle. Take over. Let's get this going. The kingdom needs to be established. We need to get this rolling. You're taking too long. John the Baptist, are you the one or should we look for another? Are you going to do it or not? Nobody believes he's going to do it because they don't understand how or why. They don't see how God is working in this battle that he's fighting. Just like David, they didn't see, they didn't understand what he was going to be able to do. His own brothers, his own brother mocked him. And just like David, God came down from the mountain. He came down from heaven. To glorify God. That's what David did. When he came down from that mountain, his mission was that God's name would be honored and not reviled, not defied by any enemy. So we see God's intention for us in the life of Jesus and Him beating the the main enemy for us and interceding for us. So what is that supposed to do for us? How is that supposed to help us as we study these things and we learn about Jesus being like David and defeating that enemy that we could not defeat? When we look at the life of David, one of the things that we commonly want to apply and understand is his courage. David had courageous faith. How can we have that courageous faith? How can we follow in the footsteps of David and the footsteps of Jesus. 
Notice some things about David as he's fighting this battle. David overcame his own circumstances. Here he is coming to the battle line, having never fought in a battle before. The youngest of all his brothers. And here he comes, completely unprepared for battle, being looked down upon by everyone. And he overcomes all that, and he's able to see what really is going on and what really needs to be done. When we're faced with circumstances that are awkward and we feel at a disadvantage, it's easy to turn a blind eye to the things that are wrong with the situation and the things that ought to be done. But David overcomes all that. And his love for God, his zeal, pushes him to speak the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Don't you know that was uncomfortable? I mean, you're surrounded by all these guys who ought to be going out there to fight. And you're just this little guy, and you're pointing out the obvious to them. Somebody's got to go out there and fight him. You may think, well, who am I to do it? One of you guys got to do it. (laughs) But he's willing to do it. Why? Why did David speak up? Because he's defying the armies of the living God. He recognizes that something must be done to defend God's honor. He must speak up. And he doesn't back down whenever there's resistance. Anytime that we try to do what's right, We try to speak what's right, or we try to stand up for what we know is true against those who believe differently. There's going to be opposition. And like his brother, you you might have your own family member stand up against you and say, Why are you doing this? Why are you trying to live your life this way? You're causing me pain. You're, You're making me suffer. You're embarrassing my family in how you're acting. And David looked at that and he said, I'm just speaking the truth. What have I done that's wrong? Somebody has to do something. Just because his family cowered and resisted, he didn't change his course. You know, I might have, having a brother much older than me, chewing me out, I might have put my head down and walked away. I mean, I would have. <laughs> it's, it's not, it doesn't feel good to be belittled like he was belittled. But he stands firm. How often do we fail to do these things when we're tested? We fail to overcome our circumstances. We fail to speak up for fear of hurting people's feelings and making things awkward and uncomfortable. And we fail whenever we receive resistance from those who we admire or look up to or we desire their affection. We're afraid. Look again at the words of David. And this is the exact words of David. 1 Samuel 17, 46 and 47. This is what he says to Goliath. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know 
that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. I don't know that there's many more encouraging words in all the Bible than to read that. Whatever the situation that we've just looked at and thought about that has hindered us from doing what we know we need to do, We read these words and we realize what David realized, what gave him that courageous faith, was his understanding that God is going to be glorified in my willingness to trust Him. The battle belongs to the Lord. He will deliver you into my hand. It's not with sword or spear. But it's in His own way. When we see all of this that happens in David's life, we see him go out and him defeat Goliath. When we see in the New Testament what happened in the life of Jesus as He goes out and He defeats Satan, we find in these stories the courage that we need to stand up to those who resist and to speak up even when it's uncomfortable. And doesn't feel like it's going to go very well for us. These men were willing to do that. And they, sh- they showed us the way. So that we might do the same thing. That we might glorify God. There's another thing that we learn from this story. And that is how to overcome sin. Whenever you read and you study about Jesus overcoming Satan. The great accuser, the one who tempts us and and helps with those temptations for us to fall to sin and die and to be separated from God. We feel overwhelmed by that. And when we wonder, how can I ever overcome these sins that have entered into my life? How can I make that change to do what's right, to be more like God? It may seem like That is the Goliath, to overcome my own sins. In order to be right with God, I must overcome my own sins. How do we defeat our giant? The point of the story is not that the Israelites can defeat Goliath. The point of the story is that David defeats Goliath and the Israelites can now defeat the Philistines. Who am I in the story? I'm an Israelite. I'm an Israelite. Think about that. I'm an Israelite. I'm one who does not have that courageous faith, but I need it. I'm the one who needs to look at Jesus and see that courageous faith. And Israel needs to stand up and go and attack the Philistines. And the Philistines are sin. Goliath is Satan. The Philistines are sin. So the question is, are we going to go out and defeat the Philistines? Or are we going to submit again to the Philistines? Look at a passage in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Paul says, 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slave of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you, to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." Paul tells us that God has defeated the the enemy. God has defeated Satan and thereby setting us free from sin. As Israel was going to be condemned under service to the Philistines, so we were going to be condemned under the service of sin. But Paul tells us Jesus won that battle against Goliath. And now we get to choose... Are we going to obey God or are we just going to stand back here on our mountain and tremble with fear at the Philistines, even though Goliath is already dead, and allow those Philistines to come take us back over? It's up to us. God's given us the battle. The battle's in our hands. We can lift up the battle cry and go out and defeat the Philistines. Romans 6.22 Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done... What the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. These texts tell us God has won the battle for us. All that remains is for us to stand up and to defeat our sins in our life. And we have already won eternal life. We've already been given eternal life when this life is over. If we'll fight this battle, we've already won it. We don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. Are you fighting in God's battle? Do you see that Goliath has been taken out? Satan, sin, and death are already defeated. What are you going to do? You're standing on the mountain. You see Goliath is dead. You see the Philistines running. Are you going to accept the battle has been given into your hand? Or are you going to go over to Gath and then serve the Philistines and do whatever they say and be, be subjected to their will? Are we going to have a courageous faith to fight in God's battle? To do what we know needs to be done to the glory of God, to bear fruit for Him. The fruit we get is leading to sanctification and we're going to have eternal life. We don't have to worry about the sins of our past because their power over us has been defeated. 
Run down the sins that's in your, that are in your life and put them to death like a Philistine. <laughs> and remember that God has already given us the victory. All that we have to do now is take it. If you're here this evening and you know that you need to make the change, you need to accept the grace of God, you can be forgiven of all the sins of your past. He's already defeated Satan. And you can begin your life fighting His battle, overcoming sin and striving to glorify God. If you know what you need to do and you know that now's the time, then please come forward as we stand and as we sing.